0: Good morning to you. I'm Carl Falk. This is the Falcon Around Podcast. Hope you're having a good day, week, whenever it is you are listening to this podcast. I hope it's been kind to you. It's one of those weeks again. Here we go. Another crazy situation. Just awful what happened in Wisconsin. Hopefully that will be the last time we see any video like that, at least for quite some time. Disturbing to see and horrible... And all my thoughts are with all involved, because that is a horrific situation. So let's talk sports. COVID is still the number one story. I know the election and social issues have snuck up there. But until we get back to what we used to do, what used to be normal, I think COVID is our biggest foe, and, and especially in the sports world. And we found that out this weekend how big of a foe COVID can ultimately be. Last week, we saw that the Mets had a positive test while they were down in Miami. Their season their their season came to a halt. Their weekend series with the Yankees postponed. They'll likely make those games up, but it's baseball, it's the Mets, who cares? As we trend towards football season, the NFL is king when it comes to media, when it comes to television, our interest, people bet, they play pools, they play fantasy football, all sorts of things that go on along with the games themselves. This Sunday morning, we woke up to find out that there had been seven Buffalo Bills who tested positive, including Josh Allen. Very shocking news and very much a team-altering situation. And then we found that it was 77 positive tests throughout the league. Many teams shut their facilities down for the day. The Browns, the Steelers, the Bills did practice, albeit without their leader and their quarterback, Josh Allen. So now the the reaction comes back to the retest, and these were false positives. 77 false positives, all from the same lab. The NFL is using a few different labs across the country this one in particular bioreference laboratories based in new jersey is handling five or six teams tests and that's where these 77 false positives on last weekend came from what concerns me about this and it worked out and the beauty of the money that the nfl has is they were able to afford another test an immediate test and all these players then tested negative including of course josh allen and were able to get back to practice on monday they did lose a day of practice but here's the thing we are 23 days away as i record this from opening day in the nfl season that thursday night september 10th the texans will play at kansas city and this season like everything else in 2020 is going to be different than anything that's ever been before Stop me when you heard this before, but this season will be different. And we found out just how different this past weekend. And here's where the NFL going forward, because of money, let's be honest, there's a reason they're going forward. There's a reason we're watching the NBA and NHL games in their bubble. There's a reason Major League Baseball is playing a 60-game bastardized version of their season. It's to get the television money that the owners need to continue to live their lifestyles. It's what it's all about. This isn't about, well, the fans need something to watch. Hey, we're fans. We do need something to watch. I want to watch football. I want this to go on. But if you, for one minute, think that the NFL will have an integrity of a season this year in 2020, you're full of shit. There is no chance that this season will have any integrity of this season, and we saw it Sunday. False positive, Sunday morning, game day, Saturday morning, travel day, you're going to have players, key players, Josh Allen and the Bills maybe, key players get a false positive and be held out from a game, miss travel, not be able to play because a laboratory made a mistake. This happens to all of us in everyday life. That's why there's a thing called a second opinion. Now, with COVID testing, a second test isn't always an option for the regular citizens. It is definitely going to be an option in the NFL. And that's where I think as we go forward, these second tests are going to be even more important, these immediate answer tests. Because if a guy like Patrick Mahomes wakes up September 10th, gets a test that morning, a false positive comes out, and he has to miss a game, that changes the Kansas City Chiefs' season. The Texans then maybe go into Kansas City, get a win they wouldn't have got, have a tiebreaker edge, and when it comes down to it, and especially with the potential of a shortened season, should things happen, should a cluster break out and a team has to step back for a week or two, This is going to change the season. And when the owners set this season up, if you go through the schedule, there are no extra bye weeks. There is no built-in lag time. The only extra week in the schedule is that there's two weeks in between the AFC and NFC Championship Games and the Super Bowl. There isn't a cushion. They did not do that. So because of that, this season needs to start and finish basically on time i do think at some point there may be a week that the nfl says no games this sunday or limited games to give teams another buy and then get rid of that extra week in between the super bowl and the championship games but this is going to change a lot of things and here's some other things that it's going to change now the partners of the nfl the television partners say for example September 10th, opening night. NBC is going to telecast that. It's going to be Texans, Chiefs, Sean Watson against Patrick Mahomes. The Chiefs are going to get their rings. It's a huge television ratings opportunity. Should that game be canceled, postponed, moved in any way because of COVID, NBC's pissed off. Because now they have to put something else in that place that won't draw the ratings numbers that they're paying for with the NFL. The game could probably be played and maybe played on a Sunday afternoon. But again, that's not the ratings that NBC is going to want to get. So NBC gets upset. How about the fact that I mentioned this earlier, integrity of season, there's not going to be one. You're going to have key guys miss key games. So a team who's, healthiest now we know injuries are part of the story in the nfl always and the fact that guys get hurt next man up all that never before have we dealt with something like this where covid could knock out a starting quarterback in the middle of a week and keep that starting quarterback out for a fair amount of time this is something different and if somebody does get sick we're talking minimum of two weeks So now, again, you miss Tom Brady down in Tampa for two or three weeks. You miss Mahomes in Kansas City for a couple weeks. Lamar Jackson already dealing with a groin injury. He gets COVID, misses a couple weeks. There is no integrity of the season. The team that manages COVID the best will be there at the end. It's not about scouting. It's not about players. It's about health. And to a degree, it always has been. But again, never like this. How about this? How about Las Vegas? How does Vegas set lines? You know, if a quarterback gets hurt, remember last year Mahomes fractured or dislocated his kneecap, missed the game. The next week, no line came up for Kansas City until the day of the game when they knew Mahomes was going to be out. That's because you can't set a line if you don't know who the quarterback is. How does Vegas deal with COVID? It's a huge part of it. And if you think that Vegas and the NFL aren't one and the same and don't have the same priorities and don't work together to an extent, ask yourself this. Why is there an injury report listed each week? Why? There is no purpose for that. If coaches had their druthers, they'd never tell you if a player's hurt, playing, not playing. Figure it out on Sunday when we line up. Don't give them the advantage to plan for somebody different or not plan for the guy who's normally there. That's why you have an injury report. So betters know who's going to play. It's been done forever, even though the NFL has always said that gambling and the NFL two separate things. They don't work together, nothing like that. It's a bunch of crap. They've always worked together. How about people who play fantasy football? That's a huge Huge industry now. ESPN has a marathon coming up. 24 hours of fantasy football coverage. It used to be, you know, you play fantasy football, you're a dork. Now, everybody plays fantasy football. So how do people deal with that? People who run DraftKings, things like that, the daily fantasy leagues, legalized gambling, essentially, how do they figure this out? There are so many tentacles. To the NFL, all predicated on this season going off without a hitch. And there's no chance it goes off without a hitch. Look at what happened Sunday morning. It didn't matter, it was training camp. But the thing is, it may have been the best thing that happened in the NFL because now you got a little bit of a plan, you got a little bit of an opportunity to see it. And we as fans should absolutely understand. the reality of seeing a guy like Josh Allen line up for 16 games this year very well may not happen. We have to be very careful with how these things play out. So a lot of things to think about as we approach the NFL season in 2020 that we've never had to think about before. If you're setting up your fantasy league, put contingencies in there and be ready to change things should you need to at a moment's notice. So that's the covid part of the nfl. The other big story in the nfl this week was Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas is one of the better safeties in the nfl, longtime member of the Seattle Seahawks. He was part of that legion of boom with Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor. Those guys won a super bowl and if they had probably run the ball one more time or maybe Russell Wilson not throwing an interception still amazes me by the way. Sidebar, nobody ever talks about Russell Wilson Throwing that interception. Russell Wilson, who's one of the three best quarterbacks in the game right now, and I love, is so Teflon that he threw an interception that cost his team the Super Bowl and never gets criticized for it. Instead, Pete Carroll does because they didn't run the ball. Yeah, well, if Russell Wilson didn't throw an interception, eh, they have two Super Bowl championships. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have five. So, you know, think about these things a little bit. But Earl Thomas was a great player up in Seattle. Fantastic safety. But things soured in Seattle. He got injured, walked off the field, or was riding off the field on a cart, flipped the bird to Pete Carroll. That was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. You're hurt. You're done playing for that season. You know that. And you flip your coach the bird. That was one of those what the hell's going on with this guy? There was always rumors because he is from Dallas that he would go back to the Cowboys. It didn't happen. He ended up in Baltimore and the Ravens are one of the most buttoned down. I'll say it that way. Organizations in the NFL. You start thinking about organizations that seem to operate differently and better than others. You you think of the Steelers, the way they've always handled their business, the Ravens, certainly go into that category course the Patriots the way they do things if you play your way out of one of those teams I mean there are teams that don't handle their business well Jacksonville Buffalo previous to Sean McDermott you understand it and players often would go through there and then get out of teams like that and excel but if you don't handle yourself well in Seattle, a well-run organization that has had a lot of success, you don't handle yourself well in Baltimore and play yourself out of there, you wonder, what's going on with this guy? For me, I had curious thoughts about him anyway from the flipping Pete Carroll, the bird incident. But then when this passed off season, he was held at gunpoint by his girlfriend, who caught him and his brother naked in bed with a couple of girls that obviously weren't his wife because she was the one holding him at gunpoint. That was one of those, like, wait, what? You and your brother in the same bed with two girls. Hmm, call me a prude, but just not something I really understand a whole lot. That was another red flag. Well, Earl Thomas got himself released. He didn't get released because he got himself in a fight at practice because he missed pra- because he missed meetings and didn't understand the coverages. He got let go because he was too much of a pain in the ass to be paid the money he was, and his locker room had turned on him. Listen to Michael Silver talk about some of the things that Earl Thomas had been doing leading up to his release in Baltimore.
1: Well, Andrew, this goes back to the beginning of his tenure with the Ravens because it was bad last year too. Um, you know, there were he was late, he missed meetings. They warned him after he got fined repeatedly. Look, at some point, this is going to be conduct detrimental, which would affect your contract. That was last year, and then things picked up right where they left off uh, at this training camp, and not in a good way. Uh, a couple of days before the altercation with Chuck Clark, he had complained that he needed more time between practice and meetings and then explained that he was late to meetings because he had to get his car washed that day, which is a creative uh, interpretation of that. So, uh, you know, things were bad. And then he blew a red zone assignment in practice on Friday and his teammate Chuck Clark reacted uh, emphatically throwing his helmet, was upset. Earl Thomas essentially said, hey, it's cool. And Chuck Clark said, no, it's not cool. You need to go to meetings and walk through and maybe you'll get it. So that's how the fight started. Uh, But you're right, Andrew, this was a long time brewing and, uh, you know, not a good situation from the start. Before I react to that, I got to point out,
0: one of my favorite things is in the highlight film, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a guy I affectionately call the cockroach because you can't kill cockroaches and you can't kill Ryan Fitzpatrick. But that guy throws interceptions to everybody. And it was great to see Fitz out there doing what Fitz does best, throwing himself a pick. Earl Thomas was late because he had to get his car washed. Think about that. Think about showing up at work. Hey, boss, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, no, I know I'm late. I had to run it through the car wash. Five-day guarantee was uh, was up, and, you know, if I didn't go this morning, you know, I'd lose out. So, yeah, all good. Really? Your car needed to be washed, so you show up late for a job you are paid somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million a year. Hmm. Now, I don't make i know this shocking 10 million dollars a year if i showed up late for my job i'd get written up it would not go over well a 10 million dollar a year job i'm gonna be early on time ready to go day in day out and if not something severe has happened then again there's a thing called pride pride in what you do an effort If you have pride and put effort into what you do, whether you're making $10 million or $2, you show up on time and get your damn job done. Earl Thomas could not do that. Earl Thomas is going to be signed probably in the next day or two. One of the leading contenders to sign him once again would be the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys have need in their secondary. They've had need in their secondary for years. They have a great front seven, but they also – had some things go on last week that they were able to massage the salary cap a little bit. Then injury got a settlement and moved on from a player they thought was really going to help them, Gerald McCoy, but they released him with an injury settlement, saved them money on the salary cap, restructured the contract of left tackle Tyron Smith, saving them about $7 million. So freeing up money. Now look, this all didn't happen till this weekend. Those two events happened last week. Do you think in NFL circles, other teams don't hear and know what players are not acting properly, are not getting their work done? Do you think teams don't have sources that let them know, hey, there's a possibility that uh, Earl Thomas may be available? You think they don't know these things? That fight in practice with his fellow safety was a straw that broke the camel's back. In no way was that his reason for getting released. It's crazy to think of, but it's a real thing. So Earl Thomas, just amazing playing his way out of now a second very good place. And the Ravens, they don't need him. They got a good enough defense without Earl Thomas. I think they'll be just fine. If if Lamar Jackson is healthy and could do 80% of what he did last year, the Ravens will be a team to beat with Kansas City and possibly Buffalo in the AFC. So keep an eye on that. Speaking of Buffalo, Sean McDermott is a little upset. Look, I love Coach McDermott. I, I love his positivity. I love how he is... A hard-ass, a tough guy, but he never lets you see anything negative about the way he goes about it. But he did yesterday on an element that I don't necessarily agree with him. I understand his complaint. He's upset that some cities throughout the NFL will allow some fans. In Miami, they said this week week, that they're going to allow... 13,000 fans to a game. McDermott doesn't like that it's inconsistent and could lead to some home field advantages in some cases and obviously lack of home field advantage where there are no fans. 13,000 fans in a 70,000-seat stadium is not a home field advantage. It's something. It's a buzz. If you've ever been to a big arena with a small crowd, In high school, I played football in the Carrier Dome. There were about 6,000 people in a 50,000-seat arena. Well, it was a thrill of a lifetime at that point for me to play there. It was also amazing to run out of the tunnel and see how few people were there. 13,000 people is going to mean nothing in Miami. There's no crowd noise coming from 13,000 people in a 70,000-seat situation. So Coach McDermott said it was ridiculous that the NFL is inconsistent with these things. It may be. And at times, if they build up where some stadiums are full, you know, think of Green Bay. If they allow everybody in and you have a full stadium in Green Bay as opposed to an empty stadium in Buffalo, it's a huge difference. I don't think that'll be the case. I don't think anywhere will allow a full crowd in. So therefore I don't think coach McDermott is right in this respect, but he was right about something else. And this is one of those things that surprised me a little bit. Again, McDermott's very positive, very, we're going to do this. We got to do this. We got to be better. He's honest with the media, but he's a positive guy. So when he said, early last week, that the biggest concern he has for the 2020 season in his football team is the development of Josh Allen. It was one of those, whoa, I've talked many times on this podcast about the need for Josh Allen to play well and the pressure on him to do so. When McDermott said this, it was one of those, this is more pressure, and this is another guy pointing out that he needs to do well. Take a listen to what Sean McDermott said about his quarterback.
2: I think that that's understandable, um, you know, for a, for a quarterback who most people know who Josh is. And, um, you know, until you're able to um, silence that, uh, it's going to continue to come up. And, and uh, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Josh wants to prove himself inside the building first. And I think he continues to do that and show his teammates who he is and what he's capable of. And, and uh, you know, I've been around some quarterbacks who started off very much like Josh has and um, have, have developed and played at a high level in Donovan McNabb and Cam Newton. And, um, and so that's, that takes time. And uh, in particular, at the quarterback position, there's a lot to balance. Uh, but we're encouraged by Josh's development and the time he put in uh, when he was away from us, every every off season, including this off season, he's worked on his game and and um, he continues to polish game and polish his game and get on the same pitch with, with his receivers uh, over the last couple of weeks now.
0: McDermott didn't say one thing that was even close to off base or incorrect or in any way inflammatory. It was just real and true. And that surprised me somewhat from a guy who generally likes to hold the cards very close to the vest. That was an open, honest answer about the development of his quarterback that will either make or break his season and potentially in some ways make or break his legacy in Buffalo. Now he got the contract extension that he deserves. So he's going to be there for a long, long time. And that's good because he has changed the culture in a place where toxic ownership had helped create a situation where you weren't going to be successful. Me and Brandon Bean have elevated that franchise in spite of the toxic culture brought on by ownership and has put them in a position and on the precipice of being a very important franchise in this league. If they continue to develop, especially at the quarterback position, this Bills team is poised to go a long way. And Brandon Bean is a big part of the success as well. But it's he, everything is on Josh Allen. How he plays, how he develops, and how consistently he can put points on the board to allow that defense to go out and win football games is going to determine whether or not the Bills are a division champion, whether they're going to be a playoff game winner or maybe even more than that so a lot of stuff there with mcdermott and this quarterback to uh, to keep an eye on going forward one of the intriguing camp battles as the bills get ready for this 2020 season is at the wide receiver position for years it's been a position of need for buffalo they've had draft picks going back to guys like the late james hardy who didn't pan out Zay Jones, second-round pick, for the record, pre-draft. I wanted Cooper Cup. Would have been a nice pick. But, hey, it happens. You miss sometimes, and that was pre-Brandon Bean. That was Sean McDermott, Doug Whaley, holding the the draft keys for that one. But there's been an upgrade, obviously, with the trade of Stefan Giggs. The two signings last year of Cole Beasley and John Brown, you look at those three as your standard top three wide receivers, and it is a perfect fit. You've got the great possession receiver in Diggs, who's more than a possession receiver, but he's such a great route runner. It's in some ways tough not to look at him as a possession receiver. you got the burner in John Brown, and when I went to camp last year watching John Brown run, run routes, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's so much more than just a burner, and we saw that last year. And, of course, there's Cole Beasley, who I watched a ton down in Dallas, and last year it showed the same thing. You simply can't cover him out of the slot. But then there's the three guys who will likely be added to the roster after those three, and those guys are going to be important because let's face it, wide receivers, four or five of them play a game easily. And then there's, if somebody gets hurt, who's going to step in? And there's a name now coming out of a lot of things. If you pay attention to Buffalo Bills media, and as camp goes on, one of the big names that we continue to hear about is a young man by the name of Gabriel Davis. Gabe Davis was a fourth-round pick this year out of Central Florida. He has been dynamite in camp, got good size, 6'2", 216, not a burner, but he's been the talk at camp. And it's funny because there's a couple guys who are going to be left off of this team who normally may be a key member of this team. I think Gabe Davis has an inside shot at being the fourth wide receiver when the Bills break camp. Andre Roberts is going to be on this team because of his return Abilities, he's not somebody you want to see play wide receiver very often. But at the same time, he can fill in in a pinch. But his ability in the return game and the threat of which is very important. And Sean McDermott prioritizes that. So I think you've got two guys: that Gabe Davis and Andre Roberts. Now we're up to five. And if we have five wide receivers, the battle for the sixth is going to come down to Isaiah McKenzie. A guy that Brian Dayball uses in so many different ways. We've seen him on jet sweeps, seen him run, run patterns out of, out of the backfield even at times. He's been a very dangerous weapon, so I think he has an opportunity. But that leaves guys like Isaiah Hodkins, who was a draft pick this year out of Oregon State. Duke Williams, a fan favorite, who really is still raw enough that you wonder if there's more there. Could have made a huge catch in the playoff game last year. Robert Foster, who a couple years ago, I was on of the opinion, this guy's scratching the surface and going to find himself and be a great player. So keep an eye on that sixth spot for the wide receiver position. I think it's got a chance to be very interesting as we go forward. And again, of course, injuries are going to dictate everything. There's a big injury last weekend. With Josh Norman, he's dealing with a hamstring problem. So somebody likely now moves up the depth chart a little bit who may not have. Speaking of Gabriel Davis, fourth-round pick, Brandon Bean has done a great job finding guys later in the draft. You look at some of the early-round success, and, you know, let's face it, you take Josh Allen at seven, you better damn well fit the bill. We're not sure if he will, but he better or you messed up as a GM. You take Tremaine Edmonds at sixteen, same thing. Taking a linebacker in the teens, he's somebody who's gotta be good. Ed Oliver at nine. Gotta be good. He's a top ten pick. Can't miss on those. But when you hit later in the draft, you have the then you have an insurance policy, if you will. And you look at some of the success that they've had mcdermott's first draft and again this one was with with doug whaley and brandon bean was not part of it matt milano who he and Edmonds are one and one a when it comes to the linebacker position they really don't have a two they have a one in one a milano is that good and i think that important and they have to extend him. by the way it's got to happen the following year 2018 some very key late round picks In the third round, Harrison Phillips. He's going to be huge this year. Star Latulale opting out. I think Harrison Phillips is a very important member of this team coming back from the ACL injury. In round four, Taron Johnson. Taron Johnson's played the slot well when healthy. He's undersized. He's had shoulder issues, but he's a playmaker. And Saran Neal is a depth player at the safety position, a round five player. 2019, Two round seven guys, Tommy Sweeney, who I think should be a tight end that makes the team. If he can get healthy and get himself out there, I think he can bring as much to this team as Tyler Croft can. Tight end another position where there's great position battle going on. I think developmentally, he is somebody you keep on this team. Tyler Croft, you know what he is, you know what he isn't. It's time to move on from that salary. I don't think they will. McDermott loves his veterans, but Tommy Sweeney, I thought, was a situation last year where he was a player forced in early because of injury and showed he could play a little bit. Daryl Johnson, defensive end. Now, it's it's tough in camp with the additions that have been brought in on the defensive line. Daryl Johnson's a guy who will really need to stand out to make this team, but I still think As a seventh-round pick, he can be an important player down the line. And then in the third round last year, Dawson Knox, we we know what he can be. He's their number one tight end. Made some plays last year. It's got to be more consistent. But also, Devin Singletary. And while everyone's so high on Zach Moss, let's not forget what Devin Singletary did as a third-round rookie last year. And then this year, of course, you got Gabe Davis and Zach Moss. So Brandon Bean's... Ability to find guys later, rounds three through five. You hope you find a guy. He has found guys. A couple other interesting camp battles. and fullback position, Patrick DeMarco is a Sean McDermott favorite. Loves Patrick DeMarco. I've never understood the love. I, I, McDermott might be, I'm sorry, DeMarco might be the best guy of all time. Great locker room guy. His presence on the team in the last couple of years, it didn't show much. It wasn't something that was paid off, in my opinion. He's a solid fullback. But Reggie Gilliam, an undrafted kid out of Toledo, has been really good so far in camp, could push DeMarco, but I doubt that'll happen. I mentioned the tight end position with Sweeney. Not only is Sweeney there, Tyler Croft, who hasn't produced much, Jason Kroom, Lee Smith, only two of those guys are going to make that team. I personally am a fan of Tommy Sweeney and think long-term he could be a good second NFL tight end. And then there's the defensive end position. There's only going to be one of these guys, Daryl Johnson, who was good last year in flashes as a rookie seventh-round pick. Brian Cox Jr., they brought in this year, said a very good camp. And Trent Murphy, who's been – okay in his first couple years paid a lot of money to be just okay i don't think trent murphy breaks camp with this team he's the kind of guy that brandon bean has been able to flip and get draft picks back for somehow some way never understood why other teams will give up a draft pick for a guy who very likely has at most one year with them but trent murphy's a guy who when healthy can rush the passer. In the NFL, there's a premium on that commodity. So, therefore, don't be surprised if at some point towards the end of camp, you end up seeing a trade where Trent Murphy goes elsewhere. So, the Buffalo Bills in training camp as we speak and getting interesting. And, again, three weeks, three weeks from Thursday, we'll have NFL football. Hopefully. We'll see. Well, I say hopefully about the NFL. One thing that's not hopefully, it's a certain thing, is Instacart. Instacart, you've heard about it. You you don't maybe know what it is, but it is a service so that you can save your time, and your time is valuable. Groceries can be delivered in as fast as one hour. And you, if you're smart and click the show notes at the end of this podcast, you'll be able to get your first delivery of over $35 for free on Instacart. Yeah, we're giving you an opportunity to try Instacart, to get your groceries. You don't have to leave the house. You don't have to deal with the crowds. You don't have to do anything. And you can get your groceries in as fast as one hour through Instacart. Check the show notes. Click on the link, and we'll hook you up pretty good deal for just basically doing nothing and your time is money so use instacart they're friends of ours you should make them a friend of yours as well major league baseball well as the Mets turn we gotta start there they of course had COVID you hit them up the crazy thing and I don't like defending the team that I root for because it seems as though I'm a homer And I'm certainly not that at all. The Mets, I've read a lot about what they've done as this season approached to deal with COVID and how to handle things. And they have gone so far above and beyond to make sure that they weren't going to be a team that was careless and reckless and had players doing things on the outside. They, early on, had the players take notes of everyone you came in contact with over a day or two period. And when they all got back together, they said, okay, tomorrow you cut that list in half. I want you only to come in contact with half as many. They did that. They did things to get the players to buy in to what they had to do. And yet they still had a player and a staffer test positive for COVID. Games canceled. They now are up against it as far as the schedule. They've got nine games in the next six days. Of course, they've had injuries to their rotation with Michael Waka going on the DL, rookie David Peterson on the DL as well. So they've had problems already. They're going to play 34 games in the last 34 days of the season. That is an impossible situation for them to come out of and to be a team as we look forward to the end of the season and thinking of possibly being a playoff team. Again, integrated season does not matter. It's about finishing the season, getting to the playoffs, letting ownership get their money from the television networks, and then all is well, even though we as fans get screwed and watch a bastardized version of this season. One guy I hope we're watching in the playoffs is Fernando Tatis Jr. of the San Diego Padres. There was a big uproar last week because with a seven-run lead, he swung 3-0. It's an unwritten rule of baseball. You can't do that, young man. Hit a grand slam. You know what? Screw that. Have fun. If you're going to throw it down the middle, I'm going to drill it. And Fernando Tatis Jr. did that. This kid is one of those young players now that we're seeing in baseball that come at it differently and have a flair and have an excitement about them. And guess what? It's fun to watch. What's wrong with? we seeing a guy have fun playing a game. What's wrong with that? How is that a bad thing? The robotic baseball player is something that has caused baseball ratings to decline year after year after year. Young, exciting, athletic players? Gee, go figure. It's fun to watch. Fernando Tatis Jr. and the San Diego Padres are one of those teams that I think in this shortened season, we're going to pay more attention to because of how they play and their ability to succeed because of their young talent. And they've got a great mix. A couple of years ago, they signed Eric Hosmer from Kansas city, gave him a big contract and everyone kind of went San Diego spending money. Then last year they signed Manny Machado to a big deal. And again, it was the Padres and all along we knew the Padres had the best system in baseball. Great prospects like Tatis Jr. They've got one starter that's 30 years old. That's Eric Hosmer. Nobody else is 30. They're having fun. They're playing baseball in a way that's different. Manny Machado, third baseman, caught a fly ball in deep right field uh As the play in the shift, it was one of those plays that you look at and go, man, that guy covered so much ground. It was Manny Machado. What did Yankee fans always say about Machado when they were rumored to be linked up? Don't want him. He's lazy. Doesn't play the game the right way. Yeah. Well, I'll take the way Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., play the game any day. These guys are exciting. They're having fun. And in my opinion, it is great to watch. More pitching injuries in this Shortened season, and it's not coincidental, folks. It is not something that, wow, that's weird. We've had all these pitchers have arm problems. Yeah. Well, when you basically don't have a spring training or had a spring training, started to build up, shut everyone down, then went back and built them up again, it's unprecedented and it's unfortunate the injuries. This time, World Series MVP Steven strasburg out for the season, needs carpal tunnel surgery. James Paxton had an MRI last week, forearm situation, Uh, forearm situation. The reason you have an MRI, because whenever there's forearm tightness, it's linked to the ulnar collateral ligament. If you don't know what that means, that means potentially Tommy John surgery. Paxton, who is going to be a free agent at season's end, hasn't really found it for the Yankees yet, but he's not going to likely find it going forward either. They haven't put him on the 60-day DL. There's hopes that he can come back and pitch and contribute at some point this year. But he's going to be a key member. And here's where Brian Cashman has made his bones as a great, and I do mean that, great general manager for the New York Yankees. His ability to go find players from other teams has been almost unmatched. He has potential to trade guys like Clint Frazier or Miguel Andujar. Andujar's value has fallen significantly from where it was a couple years ago. But he's got the ability to move pieces to bring in starting pitching. While the Yankees sit just a game or two behind the Rays in second place, I don't think there's any worry about them making the playoffs. But let's face it. It's not about the playoffs with this team this year. It's about winning the championship if you get to the playoffs and you only have one starting pitcher that you can rely on, and that's Garrett Cole, and he's spectacular. But that's it right now that you run out there and think, I'm going to get six innings out of my starter, turn it over to that great bullpen and win this game. Zach Britton now on the DL, so that bullpen has been weakened. It's just not quite right. And the pitching is something I expect Cashman to, to address in the next week before the trade deadline comes and goes I expect him to make a move there one team that I loved what they did in the offseason and it hasn't worked out in anywhere near the way I thought it would but the Cincinnati Reds have been fun to watch they, they added plate pieces and they were a team I thought was going to hit if they got any kind of pitching I thought they'd be real good and they haven't been real good yet but they're hanging around 500 and again in this most everyone but the mets will make the playoffs type of year the reds are a team to keep an eye on because their pitching has been great you want to talk one two combination right now in all of baseball start thinking about the great pitching staffs and who's got the best one two how about this one two sunny gray yeah yankee fans sunny gray that sunny gray his numbers going into last night's game, 4 one one, two two one ERA, 51 strikeouts and 36 and two-thirds innings pitched. I'd take that. Guy couldn't pitch in New York, but, man, can he throw in Cincinnati. And, oh, the Reds home park, great American ballpark, Bandbox. box, absolutely a little league park, and yet he's doing that. And he's not even the best pitcher on their team. Trevor Bauer pitched again last night has a 068 ERA, 41 strikeouts and 26 innings pitch going into last night. How good is this guy? And maybe as good a Twitter follower and an out-of-the-box thinker as there is in baseball. Keep an eye on the Reds. They're going to be fun to watch, and I think they're going to be a problem for somebody coming around in the playoffs. One of my favorite baseball players to watch is Freddie Freeman, even though he is on the hated Braves. It's a Mets fan rooting for the Braves or liking the Braves is something can't do. They're the Braves. They suck. They don't suck. They're just annoying AF. You understand. It's not personal. But Freddie Freeman is a great guy. How great? Listen to this sound clip with Alec Brom, a young Phillies prospect who was just called up. And it is first home run. It's a really nice first home run. It's a good story, too. Why is your ball waterlogged? Well, because I hit it 450 feet to dead center. Really nice. Congratulations. I I love that. I I really, really love that. Freddie Freeman is a national treasure. He's not only a great player, he's a great ambassador for the game. He's one of those guys, if he's ever mic'd up and you hear him, it's he just gets it. He's having fun playing a ball game, and he's a good dude. And, you know, here's this rookie who it's an absolute bomb. You, you can only imagine what's going through that young man's head, knowing he hit his first home run, knowing – He's up here to stay, and the kid's a stud prospect as well. But to have Freddie Freeman making jokes about that, that that is pretty cool. Props to you, Freddie Freeman. Now, quick kicking the Mets' ass, will you please? I'm being nice. I'm asking nicely. least you can do is just suck against the Mets once in a while. That's all. If you play basketball, and if you played at a high level, there is always – A racial component. Let's face it. The NBA is predominantly African-American league. You look at Division I college basketball, there are predominantly African-American players playing. And within the circle of players, there is always an awareness of who's a black guy, who's a white guy. It's not racial, but it's racially separate. That white boy can play. We hear that all the time. That white dude can play. That white boy's got hops. Montrez Harold called Luka Doncic a bitch-ass white boy. And people freaked out. Freaked out. You can't say that. What if it was the other way? It wasn't the other way, first and foremost. And it's different. It's absolutely part of the inside-the-game discussion points. Luka Doncic is a white boy. He's not a bitch ass white boy, but he's a white boy. And he's the best young player in the NBA. And I want you to see some of the things that Luka Doncic did so far in this series against the Clippers. Jazz, who wound up having to go down to the G League, he said it was very humbling experience. Oh, nice Euro step from Doncic. 19 points, nine rebounds, eight assists on a bad ankle does not seem to be bothering him at all here in Game Four. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up three-pointer.
1: Bang! Bang! It's good. Doncic wins the game at the buzzer.
0: That's a nasty white boy is what that is. Luka can fill it up, and he can fill it up in so many ways. And watching him in the bubble playing against the Clippers has been a treat. He has outplayed Paul George so badly so far in this series. As a matter of fact, Kawhi Leonard, a guy that most people think is either one of the top three players or the best player in the NBA right now, you look at their stats. Luka's averaging 31.5 in the series, Kawhi 33. Luka's averaging 10.5 rebounds, Kawhi 10. Luka's averaging almost 10 assists, 9.8 assists, Kawhi 5. He's basically playing even with one of the best playoff performers we've seen in the last 20 years in Kawhi Leonard. He's 20 years old. He has been a huge huge find not only for the Mavs but for the league he's a European guy so we didn't watch him go to college we didn't know much about him going out into the draft a couple years ago but we heard a lot about him but there's one narrative about him that I want to stop because I don't think it's right people are freaking out that Luka Doncic was the third pick in the draft that very well may be DeAndre Ayton was the number one pick through the first two years. And it always takes a big man longer to develop than it does a smaller player. He has averaged 17 and almost 11 boards. Those are very good numbers. And that Phoenix team with Devin Booker is a team that's coming. Don't have a problem with DeAndre Ayton as the number one pick. Marvin Bagley, the third has been a little bit soft defensively. He's somebody who you could say he should have been drafted there. 14.8 points, 7.6 boards in the first two years. But Bagley's the guy we saw at Duke, and I think that plays in. You watch Duke play against Carolina and everyone else in the ACC, you have an idea what this kid can do. Luca is a European guy. Eh, you're not really sure what he's going to translate to. But Luca was picked with the third pick by the Hawks. If you remember correctly, the Hawks picked third, the Grizz picked fourth, they took Jaron Jackson, and then the Mavericks picked fifth. They actually picked Trey Young. On draft night, the Mavs and the Hawks engineered a trade. It was Luka Doncic, the third pick, for Trey Young, and next year's number one. So... Trey Young, through his first two years in the league, has averaged 23.6 points, 3.9 boards, 8.6 assists. He's a really good young player. A guy who I thought would take longer to adjust to the league because of the way he plays than he has. There have been games he's dominated. He is a poor man, Steph Curry. He is able to do some of the things that Steph Curry can do, and only those two can do. Yet he's doing it two years into the league after one year of college, and he was an off-the-radar recruit for Oklahoma. He wasn't a top 100 kid. He played his way into the fifth pick of the draft and then has played his way into an all-star level player in his first two years. Luka, in his first two years, has averaged more points, 24.7 to 23.6. More rebounds, obviously. He's much bigger and a much better rebounder, 8.5 to 3.9. Less assists, but 7.3 to the 8.6 that Trey Young has averaged. But remember, I said there was next year's number one pick. That's Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish, there's a rookie this year, averaged 10.5 points, 3.7 boards, and 1.5 assists. Cam Reddish is a good young player. I don't know how good he's going to be. But for everyone freaking out that the the Hawks made a terrible mistake trading out, I get it that Luka is going to be the best player in the league in a couple years, but it's my opinion that Trey Young is going to be a perennial all-star. You add that to a very good player in Cam Reddish, should they have held on to Luka? Probably. But I don't think it's as far-fetched. It is disproportionate as people are making it seem. It's much different when you throw Cam Reddish into that argument. And, again, I think that Trey Young's somebody you can argue for. I think he's that good, and, again, he's so young. But it's been fun to watch, certainly. That bitch-ass white boy shoot baskets has been a lot of fun. Can't wait to watch, actually, tonight, Game 5, and it's a Big, big game five. Paul George needs to come to play. Lakers were a team that everyone said, well, I I don't don't see them getting by Portland. They now have a 3-1 lead after blowing Portland out of the gym last night. Anthony Davis is playing very good basketball. And in his 17th year, what LeBron James is doing is really remarkable. The way this guy, and there's a lot of LeBron hate. I think someday when it's all said and done, people are going to look back and be like, why did we hate that guy so much? Because he wasn't Michael Jordan? Is that the only reason people hate him? It's strange to me, the hate for LeBron. I've grown to appreciate how great he is. And he continues to dominate basketball games in his 17th year. The East is basically sewn up. The Sixers are going to retool. They fired Brett Brown yesterday. The NBA in the bubble is working. It's going to be fun to watch going forward as we move into the next round of these playoffs. starting to get interesting already, but I think this has a chance to be very, very good. Strange without fans, still weird. And one other thing, guys are shooting from deep. And I mean deep. Dame Lillard from the logo, LeBron from the logo. The court's got to be smaller, right? They're not full-size NBA courts, right? Am I right on that? Because when you cross half-court in an NBA gym or arena, it's a huge shot to get it there. And These guys are pulling up from just across half-court. It's like when you play in the church league, in the three-point line and the circle – For the jump ball at the center court, touch, it's like they're playing in that gym. There's no way this is a right-sized gym. Is it? Eh. Take a look at that next time. A couple quick hits before we get out of here. Golf, the FedEx tour going on this past weekend. Dustin Johnson was 30 under par. 30 under par in four rounds. Won by 11 shots. His 22nd win. Dustin Johnson's going to be a Hall of Famer, by the way. And all we hear about is what he doesn't do. Maybe it's time to appreciate that when everybody's on playing their best, Tiger used to call it his A-game, nobody beats Dustin Johnson. Nobody's A-game is better than Dustin Johnson's A-game. He's that talented. 30 under. Think about this. Have you had 30 birdies in your life? 30? Start counting. How many birdies you've had? How many birdies have you had this year? 30 under par in four rounds. Not bad. Important announcement yesterday by our governor that high school sports can begin. Well, sort of. Mid-September, I should say late September, we could start having some high school sports play. They could play games. They can play against other schools. So here we are at the end of August, practice can go on, and then those games can play. It's interesting that it's the end of September where they're allowing this date to happen. Because then it gets you through the first couple weeks of school to see if there's going to be any sort of spread for those kids that are going back in school. See if the virus is going to be handled, if it's going to spread, how it's going to happen. That's interesting to see what the timing is. But I I didn't understand this. Most sports can go back and play, but not football. Football can practice. Wait, what? Why are you allowing only kids to practice and then not play games? What is safer about practice than about playing games? If you think about it, The teams that practice, they're essentially in their own school bubble. It's not a bubble, but their town, their their school, they all are together. If there's a COVID outbreak, that team is going to step away. It's going to have to. If they're healthy, they're going to continue to play. You're not adding anything more by bringing two teams together that are healthy. There's no more risk there than allowing two teams to practice separately. If there's a positive case in either team that's practicing, that team is shut down. It has to be. Bringing them together only means that you're potentially shutting down two teams instead of one. I, I don't understand the logic here. It, and granted. I'm biased. I love football. I help cover football for Spectrum TV. I help announce their broadcasts. So I want high school football, but I don't understand this ruling. Then again, our governor has done a lot of things I don't understand since the beginning of this pandemic. I don't envy him in any way because it's not been a situation that many people could have succeeded. But this is yet another decision that I – Try to figure out the logic of, and then I remember, it's politics. There is no logic. Quit trying to figure it out. So I hope that they change that and allow football teams to play. Yes, practice is fun. Games are better. Practice until you get to a game or if there isn't a game coming up. I don't really see a benefit of it other than you're getting kids ready for next year. But how about the seniors? who there is no next year. They don't get a chance to play any games in their senior year. They just get to practice all all the time. I, I just, sorry, doesn't work for me. Hey, before we get out of here again, I want to remind you about Instacart. Go to the show notes, click on the link, and we'll give you an opportunity for free delivery on your first order over $35. Instacart could get you your groceries delivered in as Fast as one hour save yourself from going to the store the hassle worrying about parking getting in is stressful you got to find all your stuff somebody can do that for you your time is money instacart saves you time therefore they save you money groceries in as fast as one hour free delivery for your first order over 35 dollars, and you don't have to do anything you don't have to leave your house Click it, click the link in the show notes, and we'll hook you up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great week. Talk again next week with the Falking Around Podcast. I'm Carl Falk.